Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We are coming with grateful hearts. This is the time of year that we really focus on just giving thanks. And Lord, we know that it ought to be year-round, but Lord, at least this time of year we put an emphasis on it. So we are thanking you. We're thanking you for so many blessings that you give and bring into our lives. And Father, we thank you for all those opportunities that you give us to grow and to stretch our faith. Father, our prayers are with those among us that are sick and are in need. And Lord, I pray that you touch their lives and give them what it is that they need. Raise them up to good health. Strengthen them. Build a character in, their, in our lives and strengthen marriages, whatever it is needed. Father, I pray now that you go with us through the remainder of this service as we look into your word and challenge us, Lord, as we are here today to see what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, why don't we all be seated. <clears throat> this coming Thursday is uh, Thanksgiving Day. Our nation will celebrate a day of Thanksgiving. Now, the real irony of this is that on that day, very little thanks will probably be given. Um, it seems like more and more in our nation, we are getting away from the point of the holidays that we've set aside. We see them as a day off. We see it as a day of just cooking and eating and spending time with family. And believe me, uh, those are good things. And I enjoy doing each one of those things. I might throw in football games too. I mean, all of those things we really enjoy. But uh, we need to stop and to ask ourselves, because I think we missed the point, on all of these holidays that we celebrate, but especially now as we look at this one coming up Thursday, what is the point of it? Why, why are we doing it? You know, originally it was set aside as a day where our nation would really bow before God and just give thanks to, for what God has done for us as a nation and individually. But we don't often do that. We don't often see anything but the problems and the hustle and bustle of life and all of the issues we have to deal with. And we don't really stop to just thank God for all that he has done for us and to acknowledge what he's done. I want to read you this little story. It kind of gives an idea of perhaps what the point should be. It says, The day had not started out well for a certain woman. She had overslept and was late for work. Then some things happened at the office while she was at work that only contributed to her harried condition. By the time she reached the bus stop for the trip home, her stomach was tied in an intricate knot. As usual, the bus was late and packed, and she had to stand up. The bus started, stopped, turned left, turned right, pushing and pulling her in all directions. The day wasn't improving, even as, she came, even as it came to an end. Then she heard a man's voice from up front in the bus, and he said, A beautiful day, isn't it? Out loud. Everybody heard him. Because of the crowd, she couldn't see who the man was, but she continued, but he continued to comment on everything the bus passed by that just seemed to add to his joy. He talked about a church over there on that corner. He talked about the ice cream store there and what a kind of good ice cream they had. He talked about the baseball diamond and how he used to play there as a kid. He talked about the library and all the books that were there that he enjoyed so much and says the atmosphere in the bus grew immediately more carefree, as did the woman's heart. The man's enthusiasm was, very, was so winsome that the woman found herself smiling. When the bus reached the woman's stop, she worked her way through the crowd to the front, and as she did so, she glanced down at the man that had been talking, the tour guide, she calls him. He was a plump man 
wearing dark glasses and carrying a white cane. He was blind. As she stepped off the bus, she realized that the day's tensions had disappeared. God had sent a blind man to help her to see that though things go wrong sometimes, it's still a beautiful world, and we should be thankful for it. And what a great illustration of what we're talking about. Sometimes we only see the bad and the ugly and the things that cause us problems and hurts. And we don't really stop to acknowledge the good and the things that we want to thank God for. What are you thankful for? Really, what are you thankful for? Um, I think probably each one of us would talk about the usual things that we're thankful for. We talk about our families. We talk about our health and our lives in general. Thankful for friends and a job that we have. Uh, depending on where you are in life, you may not have some of those, but others you would be thankful for. You know, as I reflected on this question this past week in preparation for this, I started asking myself, well, David, what are you thankful for? And I think the usual things came to mind, just as I've mentioned, the things that we all are really thankful for, the things that seem to be uh, the forefront of our thinking that we immediately think of when we talk about being thankful. But then is almost as if God began to work on me and I began to focus more on the spiritual blessings that I've got in life and some of the things that I've known, I preach, I teach, but sometimes we don't often just stop to say thank you, Lord, for those things. You see, And so as I sat there pre, uh, preparing for this, the Lord just impressed upon me uh, a sense of gratitude and a desire to say thank you, Lord, for these things, even though, even though Lord, I, I've known them, I've known them for years, I need to keep thanking you for these things. Because it's not just that you are appreciative of my thanksgiving, but when I give thanks like that for these things, it changes me. And so today what I want to do is share with you four things that I'm think, thanking God for. And they're more of, along the lines of spiritual blessings. They're not the physical things that we would all think of. Not that those aren't important. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying these are things that God impressed upon me this week. Number one, I want to say thank you, Lord, for the grace that you've shown me. I want to say to the Lord, thank you, Lord, for the grace that you have given me over the years. The grace that has saved me, the grace that has brought forgiveness to me, Lord, because sometimes I, I just lose sight of that. You know, if, if it weren't for my teaching and preaching, it's one of those things that would probably be pushed into the background of my mind and my heart. And I think that's true of all of us. I, that, that's the beauty, really, of having to preach or teach. You grow more than anybody. And as you preach or teach then these things are always in the forefront of your thinking. But even for the preacher, sometimes we lose sight of this with all of the problems in life. You know, I heard a, I read a definition of grace. I've probably shared it with you before, but this, I think, is a good working definition of grace. Grace is God giving you what you need and not what you deserve. He's giving you what you need and not what you deserve. Now, think about, you know, the, the weight of that. Because God sees what I need, I see what I want. God sees what I need, and then God gives me that instead of what I deserve. And we don't like to talk about what we deserve, but that's so important. I want to read you this verse. 
It's one of those verses that are are key salvation verses that talk about this. And I just want you to understand what is being said here and the importance of it and how it plays into this whole idea of God's grace. It's in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. It says, God made him, Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, you need to understand this verse, okay? It's a very important verse. It says that God took Jesus, his son, and made him to become sin. That means every sin that I've ever committed or you've ever committed or ever will commit, God said to Jesus Christ, his son, now you become that. I'm going to lay it all on you. And so he laid it all on him. And then it goes on to say, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, see, this is what grace is all about. Grace is God taking my filth, the penalty for it, the consequences of it, the judgment for it, and he laid it on his innocent son who had no sin. And he became a sacrifice for you and me. He took our place. And God in his grace took that away from us, the guilt of that, and laid it on Christ. But then he, God in his grace took the righteousness of Jesus Christ and then applied it to you and me. So that now when God sees you and me, he doesn't see the sin. Not that he's not aware of it. Please understand. He's just saying, I'm not holding you accountable in the sense that you, are, you will never go to hell. You will never be punished. You will never suffer judgment. Now, this is not talking about the discipline. That's a whole other subject, disciplining his children. I'm talking about standing before God as someone that is covered by the grace of God. And God gave me what I needed. He didn't give me what I deserved. And this is the beauty of it, guys, because you didn't have a, a case to plead. You couldn't make an argument. You couldn't go before God and beg for anything. You had no standing with God. And God said, I'm going to give you what you need. And that's grace. I'm not going to give you what you deserve. And see, this is the exact opposite of what so many people in the world think today is that you're going to get what you deserve. And it's just not true because God in his grace has taken care of that for us. You know, if we fully understood that and if we often thought about it and kept it into the forefront of our minds, we'd be shouting for joy. We'd be shouting from the rooftops. Let me tell you what God has done for me. We are completely clean forever. We are forever and now and forever forgiven. And we will always be his child. I mean, the list goes on and on of the things that God has done for us that are included under this heading called grace. And so, yeah, I want to stop. I want to reflect on this. And I want to take the time to say to God, thank you. That's all I can say is thank you. I have no case to plead. And if it wasn't for you, I'd have nothing. And we don't often do that. We don't often think about that. You know, Thursday, when you're sitting at your Thanksgiving tables, and maybe you have a tradition of going around and asking people at your table, what are you thankful for? We've done that sometimes. We always reflect on family. I'm thankful for mom and dad. I'm thankful. And God knows we are, believe me. But maybe just out of the ordinary to be different. Maybe just stop and thank God for his grace. Just thank you, Lord, for what you've done. You gave me what I needed. And you didn't give me what I deserved. And I'm thankful for that.
Secondly, here's what I would thank God for. I would say to him, thank you, Lord, for the plans that you have for me. I want to thank you for the plans that you have for me. Now, see, this raises questions whenever we talk about the plans that God has for us because we look at our lives and we think to ourselves, now, wait a minute. I can see the hurt and the pain and all of the things that are going on in my life, and you're telling me that God has a plan for my life because, you know, this age-old question comes up. And why is it that bad things happen to good people? And I'm a good person, you think to yourself. Why do bad things happen to me? And that's a legitimate question. But it also was a problem for us understanding that God has a plan. We kind of push that to the backs of our minds because we don't want to admit that maybe God does have a plan and just maybe God is taking all of the events of my life and putting them into his plan and orchestrating something beautiful. That's hard for us to understand. Let me show you a verse. It's all the way back in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Jeremiah, Jer- uh, Jeremiah 29:11. It says this. God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, and he says this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Doesn't that sound wonderful? You know, God said, I've got my, my plans are for you, and I, they're not plans to harm you, but plans to give you hope and give you a future. Do you know the context of when that was said? That was spoken to the nation of Israel after they had been exiled to Babylon. You, if you don't know the history behind this, Israel, God told them for centuries, I'm going to punish you if you don't straighten up. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he surrounds the city of Jerusalem and lays siege to it for years. And in the book of, I think, I'm not sure now which book it was, Lamentations maybe, something, where um, it's talked about how that mothers were eating their children during that siege. It was a horrible time. They're carried off into bondage. Many are killed. Many are put into slavery. And in this chapter here that I just read to you, this verse, God sends a letter through uh, Jeremiah to the nation, to the leaders of the nation in exile in, in this country. And he says this. He says to them, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, the plans to prosper and not to harm you, to give you hope and to give you a future. How can you say that? But he did. It must be true. It must be true that in the middle of all this mess, their lives falling apart, God reminds them that I've got a plan for you. And yes, sometimes it incorporates discipline. Sometimes it brings in the the harshness of having to give you a spanking for your disobedience. Sometimes that's part of it. But I have a plan for you nonetheless. Let me give you an illustration. How many of you know what a painter's palette is? You know what a painter's palette is? Okay. The palette, you've seen pictures of this. The guy with the little beret sitting on the side of his head, the painter from France, he's got the rounded thing in his hand, a thumb hole in it, and he holds it, and he mixes paints on it, and then he paints on the canvas. This is his palette. This is where he mixes the paint. Now, this is the illustration. Now, watch and listen very carefully. Let's say, for example, that, that, that God is the artist, and there's a canvas out here that is blank, and this is you. This is your life. Even before you were born, this is what God is doing. God is going to paint a portrait of you. 
Now, on the palette are all the paints. Now, when an, when an artist puts his paints on the palette, they're all different colors, and he takes a little bit of each one, brings it down, and mixes it up into a little area here. Then he puts it on the canvas. No paint is ever the same. He may have a beautiful blue that he's created, but if he goes back to mix it up the next day, it's never going to be the same because he never measures anything. He just takes a little of this, a little of that, mixes it together, and paints the, the portrait. All right, so here's God. He's got his palette. And on his palette, he puts these certain paints, and each paint is something of importance. For example, he puts a little bit of white on the palette. And the white represents all the good things that we do in life. Because you see, before you were ever born, God knows what's going on. And God says, these are the good things that myself, let's say Dave, and certainly applies to you as well, that Dave's going to do. The good in Dave's life. And then he pulls in the black. And this represents all of the sin that Dave's ever going to commit. From the time he's born to the time he dies, there it is in all of its blackness. And then God puts a little bit of red, a dab of red up there. And this is going to be Satan's work in the life of David. And there'll be times when David is tempted, when Satan attacks him, when Satan gets him down, when Satan defeats him. This is going to represent those times. And then there's the yellow, which represents the accidents, the sickness, the brokenness that maybe David's going to go through. There'll be those times when cancer may crop up in his life. There'll be those times when he has a car wreck or his wife has a car wreck or whatever. But these are the times when there's no explanation. They just happen. Then there's the blue. The blue is the evil that other people do to you. And there'll be times in David's life when there'll be people who treat him poorly. They'll have evil intentions, and this thing will happen in his life. But then there's the gold. And the gold are the miracles of God that God is going to do in my life and in yours. The blessings that God brings into our lives that we all think of when we think of gratitude. Scattered throughout this painting will be those times when God brings miraculous things into your life. And so the artist sits down with his canvas in front of him, and he's going to paint your portrait, your life. And he brings down a little bit of this, a little bit of pain, a little bit of suffering, and a little bit of blessing, and he starts painting. And all of these colors go into this painting of your life. And when it's all finished and God steps back and he looks at it, he says, it's perfect. It's my plan. It's my plan. I cannot tell you why God allows bad things to happen to good people. That's a question no theologian can answer. Nobody can. All I can tell you is that it is God's plan that we go through things and God is not unaware. And that God orchestrates all of it behind the scenes and brings about something very beautiful. Listen to this verse. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now think about this, what this is saying, because usually, here's the way we read this verse. That we know that in all things God is working to make you happy. See, that's the good we think. We think, okay, God's going to give me good things. God's working in my life to give me good things. But the good is not that. God is working in your life For the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. The good represents the portrait. 
that God is working in everything that occurs in life to bring about good, the perfect portrait of who you are, His plan. Let me show you this verse. Philippians 2.13 says this, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose, His plan. God is at work inside of you through His Spirit to bring about you to come to the conclusion, you know what, I'm going to choose to do this, I'm going to do this, that sort of thing. God's working. What's He trying to achieve? His good and perfect plan. That's what He's trying to achieve. How many times do we ever stop to thank God for His plan? Because you see, we don't like that. We want to know the plan. We want to have some input into the plan. We want to be able to manipulate the plan. And you and I have got to come to this realization that God has a plan and he's painting the portrait and I can't stop it. And I don't want to. Because as painful as that may be sometimes, I don't want anybody else holding the brush. Nobody. I don't want the brush. I'll make a mess of it. I don't want the devil to have the brush. He'll make a mess of it. I don't want somebody else having the brush. I want the brush in God's hands, and I am forced to trust Him that the portrait will be perfect. You look at your lives and you're hurting. You think, how could I thank God for that? Well, you're not really thanking God for the pain. It's okay to say, God, I don't like the pain. But I know you've got the brush. And okay, God, when it's all said and done, you're going to work something in what you work in my life. And I may be that I have to look back on it years later to realize it is going to be perfect in your sight. And I've got to come to grips with that and trust him. And here's the way I do that. I start thanking him. I start thanking him for it. And I thank God that he's got the plan and I trust him with my life. Here's the third thing. Thank you, Lord, for the way you're changing me. Thank you, Lord, for the way you're changing me. Let me read you this verse. Nobody, none of us, stays the same. And when you become a believer and put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God indwells you. And guys, you're on a road to change. You're being transformed. You know, Cody mentioned earlier, he says, I'm 40 years old. I've been living this life. He said, I want a new one. I'm tired of this one. I want to do things for the Lord that count. He said, I want to be that person. And I can see in a lot of your lives the hand of God changing you over time. Listen to this verse. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Listen to it very carefully. Paul says this. He says, And we know, I'm sorry, and we are, and we all, I'm going to try it a third time here, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, the first thing I want you to see is this, that at the end of that verse, he said, this is coming from God. God's doing this. There's a transformation taking place, but it's coming from God, the Spirit. He makes a distinction here, okay? The Spirit's work is what brings this about. 
And this whole thing about unveiled faces is in the context of Moses wearing the veil. I'm not going to go into that. But basically what he's saying is this. He said, you take the veil off, you stop pretending to be somebody that you're not, you look full into the face of God, you contemplate who He is, you examine Him, you behold Him, you search after Him, you seek Him, and all of a sudden, God starts transforming you. Another way of looking at this would be to say simply this. When I seek Him, He transforms me. See, this is why, as a preacher, you hear me say things like, you need to be serious about your faith. You need to be serious about pursuing God. You need to be serious about your your life and making changes in your life. Because when you start moving toward God, transformation takes place, and you can't fake this. This is God-inspired. This is why you can see a person change before your very eyes. And God is in the business of changing people. God changes addicts. He changes liars. He changes thieves. He changes adulterers. He changes murderers. He changes all of these people. That's what God does. And I think to myself, David, look at yourself. Since the time you left your, your home in Charlotte at the age of 23 took off to Bible college. How have you changed? Unbelievable. I can only imagine where I would be and what I would be doing if God had not taken hold of me. And I am thankful that God does that. And you know why? Here's why I'm thankful to God. And I thank Him for changing me. And I thank Him for changing you because of this. Listen. Because of what God does and the transforming power of the Spirit of God, there is hope for every single one of you. You understand? We come into a church, some of us, and we've been down the road path to hell all of our lives. And we think to ourselves, you come into a church... And you think you're oddball and you're different and nobody's going to love you. Nobody's going to understand. And Lord, help us if they find out about me. And, and all of these things. And I'm telling you that we are all in the process of being changed. Every one of us. And I'm thankful for that because it says to me that no matter how bad you are, I know God can change you. And I know God can make you into a different person. And I thank Him for that. I thank Him for that. And each and every one of us have got to be patient with ourselves as we are in the process of changing, but patient with each other because God's doing His work. And I am thankful, God, that you're doing that. Here's the fourth thing that I would thank God for, and that is this. Thank you, Lord, that this life is temporary. Thank you that this life is temporary. Now, that may sound a little odd to you. Thank you, Lord, that soon I'm going to die. That's about what I'm saying. This life is temporary. Now, don't get me wrong. I am thankful for everything that God has given me. I'm thankful for my family, my life, my health, my work. I mean, everything. But I want to go home. You know, I just want to go home. And that's no slight against any person or family member or whatever, but my wife and I, we both agree, you know. I love you to death, but I want to go home. And I'm thankful to God that this life doesn't last forever because, let's face it, folks, this life stinks in a lot of different ways. 
And sometimes it's just not pleasant. But I'm looking forward to the time when I pass from this life and I go into a place that I cannot begin to describe. I look forward to that. You know, it's been said, and I read this somewhere, it might have been on the Internet, that we're not ready to live until we're ready to die. Ooh, what does that mean? Think about that. You're not really ready to live until you are ready to die. Think about it. If I am ready to die, and I know where I'm going and I'm secure in that and I'm ready to go, then it may just be that I can enjoy this life more. You follow me? Instead of worrying about it, instead of looking at it as the end all or trying to hang on to it with every fiber of my being, trying to protect what I've got and all of this stuff and be afraid, just let it go. And when you let it go, you know that, hey, look, I'm leaving this place soon. I can let this go. And when you let it go, you begin to enjoy it more because you're not holding on so tight. So, yeah, Lord, I thank you that this is temporary. You know, when I think of heaven, there's a, you know, all of us are the same way. We think of heaven and you think, my goodness, what comes to mind when you think of heaven? But when I think of going to heaven, there's two things that this week just kind of was impressed upon me. Two words. Here's the first one. When I think of heaven, I think of being released. Being released. Released from what? Well, old age for starters. You know, I'm 68. We just count down the days, you know. I think, okay, my daddy died at this age. That's probably all I'm going to get, you know. We start thinking about that. And so, yeah, you know, we are released from growing old and all the aches and the pains and the suffering with that. It's one thing about us old folks I've noticed, and I'm, I, fall, I have fallen into this trap, and I said that I never would. All we do is sit around and talk about our ailments, and I'm doing it too. And I swore I'd never do that, but I'm doing it. Because you know what? When you're hurting, you're hurting. But getting released from this old body that's falling apart, being released from cancer... Birth defects, deformations, Alzheimer's, crippling, uh, being crippled, grief, loneliness, heartache, all of the hurts of this world. And all of a sudden, in a twinkling, in in a moment, you're taken from this world and you're released from all of that. I look forward to being released. And I think a lot of you do too. How would my view of life change? If I could just come to grips with this and be able to thank God that this is only temporary. And it's not really all that important in the big scheme of things. Because I know where I'm going. But here's the second word that I think about, and that is reunited. Reunited with loved ones. Let me ask you this question. Outside of the Lord, now we all want to see the Lord. And I can just imagine, you know, the Lord meeting me for the first time or me meeting him for the first time and seeing the nail scars in his hand and the love in his eyes and all of the things that we talk about. But of the people that have gone before you that are there now, who's the first person you want to see? Your mom, your dad, your wife, your husband? Who do you want to meet you at the gate? See, we never think in terms like that. But the Bible tells us that we're going to be reunited. Reminds me of the song. Oh, how did that go? Reunited. Okay. Before your time. (laughs) The young people are saying, what? What? 
but to be reunited with people. You know, my dad is gone, and I would love to see him again. Grandparents, friends, people in this church that have gone. But that's one of the things that we'll see. Let me read you this verse. I just I use this verse all the time. It's nothing new to you. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, he says this, However as it is written, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived. The things God has prepared for those who love Him. Wow. You're telling me that as a human being, with all of the ingenuity and creativity that we have, we cannot even imagine what it's like? He says, nope. You can't even imagine it. It's no wonder we struggle to try to picture it, you know. But we take it by faith. We take it on by faith because God, this is, God has said to us, this is where you're headed. And this life is only temporary. And God, I thank you that this life will not last forever. I am grateful for that. I want you to, in the time we have remaining, do me a favor. Pull out a piece of paper if you can get to one, okay? If not, then you don't have to do it. Just listen. But just jot down this this one item that I want you to write down, okay? And it could be anything that comes to mind. As a matter of fact, that's what I want. I want you to put down the first thing that you think of when I ask you this question. And it doesn't mean that it's the most important or the only one that you think of. It just means that right now, in this moment of time, this is what God has impressed upon your heart. So write it down. The question is this. What one thing do you want to thank God for? One thing that you want to thank God for. It could be anything. It doesn't matter. It's just the first thing that pops into your mind that God is impressing upon your heart. If you could thank God for anything you would thank him for that. What is it? Now for the next five minutes, I want you to stand up and tell me what that is. We're not going to drag this out. Robert, thank you for your wife. Thank God. Good. How does that make you feel, sweetie? Ah, uh, yeah. All right. You're thanking God that the... As rest for your soul. God bless you. You don't like the path, but you're thankful for it. Because you can trust the Lord regardless. That you don't have to know. You just need to trust. You know who's got the brush. That's correct. Absolutely. Who else? Anybody? Stand up. Yeah. The promise of salvation. The promise of salvation. Yeah. Gratitude for that. Todd. Peace. All right. That's a good one. Thank you for Jesus and all that he did. Amen. In this church, God bless you, Ashley. That's sweet. We're thankful for you, too. A pretty easy and comfortable life. Okay, good. You don't do that. That'll, that'll change quick, okay? <laughs> Thanks, God. Things are going great. God says, oh, I must have overlooked you. Okay. The pain and suffering. Yeah, I got somebody up here, Michael. Hope. Michael's thankful for hope. Mickey. Love. All right. Your recovery. Yeah, Tammy's recovery. Yeah. Tammy's one of those that the Lord is really doing a work on. I mean, you see Tammy out here doing our, our 
coffee for us. And you need to thank her for that, okay? You need to thank her because she's real faithful to do that. She's in recovery, doing great. We're proud of her for that. What else? Anybody else? A couple more. For her children. Stacy couldn't say it? Okay. She's crying. Okay. God bless you, sweetie. Your children, yeah. All right. Anybody else? Okay. Let's. Cl- oh, I'm sorry. Good health. Yeah. You know, not you're not always going to have good health. You know, we have to die, so you got to get sick usually to do it. And so, um, but while we do, see, this is important. While we do, we need to be thankful for that, because the artist is still painting, and so that may not all be always be the case. But while we do, we thank him for it. True. Why don't we bow our heads now and close our eyes? And I just want you to sit there quietly. And this is where you need to just spend a few minutes with God. And and just express that to God. You don't you say, I'm grateful, but you say, Lord, I am thankful to you for, and fill in the blank. What is it? Let's just take a few moments and do that. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here, Lord, we are humbled in your presence. We realize, Lord, that you are the master. You are the one that is shaping the events of our lives. And, Lord, that's the way we want it, and we thank you for it. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you, Father, for taking us through the storms because we would not appreciate you otherwise. Thank you, Father, for our future that you've given us. Thank you, Father, for the loved ones along the way the church and the fellowship and the friendships that we have here at the church. Father, we come to you today with gratitude in our hearts and we say thank you for all that you do for us. Forgive us, Father, where we have failed to acknowledge that. Help us, Father, to be mindful always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.